0: Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we take on a controversial article that suggests young people don't really need to save for retirement. Stick around. That's coming up next.
1: Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Kraftwerk Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Kraftwerk Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed. And please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions.
0: Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I'm Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Dan, good to be back for another week.
1: Yeah, good to see you. Happy October.
0: Absolutely. I'm fighting a cold this week. I think it may actually make me sound cooler in podcasting terms, but I am fighting a little bit of a sore throat, so hopefully that doesn't come across as as annoying in our recording today.
1: In our morning stand-up meeting, I saw you making a pretty nifty tea for yourself, and I got jealous.
0: Yeah, I don't know that it uh, tasted very good. Went a little heavy-handed with the lemon, but uh, it did make my throat feel a little better. Went with some ginger, some green tea, some lemon, and some honey together. That seemed to work okay.
1: Sounds classier than me sucking down cups and cups of coffee.
0: I mean, that's what I'm normally doing over here as well. So Dan, we start this week with what I will call a retraction. Uh, It was a little bit of a mistake that we made last week. And for that, I apologize. So we got an email from Nance. Thank you, Nance, for listening and for calling us out on this, which is that the September forecast from Vanguard is higher than what we quoted in our last podcast. She sent it over to me. She is 100% correct which led me to, how did I make such a mistake? How did, how did I get this wrong? Because I had seen the Vanguard news come up that they had a new capital market assumption. We had pulled it up to talk about it on the show. And it turns out that the first Google result, for whatever reason for me right now, when I type in Vanguard's capital market assumptions, was their May estimate. And in May, Vanguard estimated 28 to 4.8% return projections on US equities. In September, the one that they just released, it's actually higher. They're at 4.1 to 6.1. Now, I think that's actually still kind of in line with what we ended up talking about, that somewhere between a 4 and a 6% return leads to kind of a 20-year period, rolling 20-year period, uh, being kind of right in the average uh, for what we expect out of stock returns. So I don't think that the meat of our conversation was completely useless, but I do apologize for the mistake and getting the number wrong. And I appreciate the diligent listenership to pick that out and uh, give us the updated number.
1: Gotta love when the listeners keep us on our toes.
0: That's fantastic. That means people are listening with intent to this show. That's, That's really good to have actually picked that up. Or it means that she had just read that number and had it like top of mind and then heard me just blatantly getting it wrong. But whatever reason that happened, I do appreciate it.
1: Yeah, people like calling us out. We get a lot of emails, and and I appreciate it too. It's nice to hear from folks and glad they're engaged. And uh, Ross, you seem to be the target of a lot of those.
0: Yeah, no, I've gotten some shade lately. Uh, So the other one, when I mentioned that there's been nowhere to hide, uh, Clifford in Hawaii sent me an email that said, uh, I said everything's been doing poorly. Investing in positive cash flow single-family homes at the beginning of 2022 would have provided an excellent return. Prices of homes have gone up. You would have locked in a much lower mortgage. There would be positive cash flow, which I take a little issue with, tax benefits from depreciation, which I also take some issues with, and the mortgage would be getting amortized by the renter. Most of that is true. Uh, I don't necessarily view depreciation as the kind of end all be all that it gets viewed as. And whether that property is cash flow positive, I think that's a question. I think that's tougher to get to than people think, but a point well taken from Clifford and Hawaii.
1: I think most private investments that don't get repriced every second can be productive, right? You don't get that pain of watching something sell off in real time because there's a very liquid market that's repricing your asset constantly. Lots of businesses are cash flow positive and doing well. You just don't get the transparency that you do in the stock market.
0: I think that that's true. And if you had invested in anything that pays a dividend, you'd be cash flow positive as well, assuming that they haven't suspended a dividend or gone bankrupt in the in the meantime. I mean, if we looked at something like your brewery, Dan, we don't know if it's gone up or down in value since January. In theory, uh, you could be up, down, flat, who knows, right? So uh, when you're looking at an illiquid market, I do think we've got a little bit better transparency into the housing market. We can see if the neighborhood's gone up or down based on comps. But um, definitely, I'm not completely bought in there, especially on a day where I read, and I'm not going to quote the exact numbers since uh, I'm likely to get them wrong now, but both Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, and there was one other firm that predicted a reduction in US housing prices over the next uh, year or so. Um, I just saw that come through as well. So uh, I don't know that the story is completely done there. I don't think stocks are a bad investment because they've been down this year, nor do I think homes are the end-all be-all, but we've done plenty of content on that for anybody that wants to hear us talk more on it. This week, we have what I'm going to call a controversial topic. At least when I read it, I viewed it as controversial, and uh, it immediately brought up some pretty strong emotions for me uh, and reactions in terms of what was being written. And so this comes to us from Robert Powell. We saw this article on MarketWatch. And the headline, many young people shouldn't save for retirement, says a research based on a Nobel Prize winning theory that could be just clickbait but the more i got into it i think that they're trying to make a legitimate point here so dan let's kick off what is this theory what are we talking about today
1: so the theory is based on something called the life cycle model and really what that says is most rational individuals are trying to smooth their income over a lifetime or, or really smooth their their spending their levels of spending over a lifetime that's very rational to me that makes sense right you save for retirement because you're presumably going to stop working at some point, you want to be able to continue the level of living that you had during your working years and not have to give everything up just because you've stopped to work. The other thing it says is that younger people earn at lower levels earlier on in their career before their kind of middle career where they tend to have higher incomes that accelerate over time before ultimately you know, reaching their retirement age where income either shrinks or decelerates. They're saying that most people are oversaving early in their working years when their incomes are lower, when really they should be spending more because they want to create that smooth spending line kind of throughout their lifespan. And when their income rises in the middle working years, they should be saving more at that point. So, waiting to save and maximizing the utility of their dollars early on by spending it and consuming those dollars. I hope I did that justice. But that that's essentially what the theory is.
0: Yeah. And we're going to put a link to the article in the podcast show notes. So if you want to read that at some point, certainly not if you're driving. But the way that they kind of show this, and this is from uh, boggleheads.org, is the graphic that they're citing. They're kind of calling it a pattern of saving and dissaving. Now, the thing that's funny about that to me is that it starts with a period of dissaving, So... Let's be honest about what that period has to be, right? If you are in a period where you would be dissaving early in your career and you haven't already saved, that period is called debt, right? You have to be borrowing or being given money from somewhere in excess of your income. Now, maybe they're not actually advocating for that, but the way the graphic is written looks to me like you're going to borrow to try and get to that point where you can save
1: right which is exactly what the graphic looks like and they do a very good job of not not mentioning that or not addressing that
0: right so that to me i mean let's start with that i think that there's two things that we could talk about actually there's many but the first of which is if you're going to say that people are saving too much and they're putting too much pressure on themselves to save early i can i can at least get on board with that but the way that this graphic is being written that indicates to me a borrowing, that to me is a real problem, right? That is that is not only not saving, that is the opposite of saving, which is where you're going to compound interest against yourself. Uh, and I am particularly sensitive to that because I lived that path and that was very ugly for me and I didn't like it. Uh, and I wouldn't recommend it for anybody to get to that point early in their career where they are not only not living within their means, but they are living beyond them uh, to to a pretty great extent. Uh, that was a very painful period, and I, I've talked about that on the show, not super at length, but uh, that is a formative financial experience for me that I kind of disagree with at the outset. So that's that's why it brought up a lot of emotions for me. Is like, are you kidding me with this? That looks crazy,
1: right? And you're you're making a lot of assumptions that following that dissaving period is going to come. A period where you have the capacity to save aggressively, which is not true for everyone. So if you are the rational economic human, which all economic theories are based on, you should be borrowing early on. They make mention of at least at the time, like 0% rates, which was true at some point. That's not true anymore. So in, in essence, you should be borrowing as much as you can early on because you can pay it back later when you're earning more that's ridiculous. What if you don't earn more? What if your life changes paths? There is so much that can happen over a decade's period of time where this would put you in trouble.
0: Yeah, It's, it's like looking in the rearview mirror and saying, "Well, if I knew that I was going to earn, on average, 75,000 dollars a year every year for my entire life, but early in my career, I was only going to make 40 to 50. That's okay. I can live like I was going to make 75 minus a normal savings rate, so let's say I was going to make 75 and then I'm going to save 7,500 bucks a year, I'm going to save it 10%, that I should live on that delta, that remaining $67,500 every single year as if I'm going to earn it anyway. And it's just not predetermined, right? I mean, that, that again, if you're looking at the laws of... Large numbers, and you're looking at a lot of people and the average. I think that works. If you're looking at how actually people live, that is a very dubious proposition because you're not developing those saving habits, right? That assumes that that person is going to get to exactly the amount of money that they need and immediately stop spending money. They're going to suddenly learn to save because they go, That's okay. I have enough. I'm good. That's not my experience that people can do that.
1: Right. Even this week, we've spoken to a handful of clients who've undergone serious lifestyle creep. There are a lot of behavioral factors that are going to change the way you spend money over time because once you have it, it feels very different than when you didn't.
0: To go back briefly to your comment on the interest rates, that assumes that as an individual with an income, you can borrow at kind of the risk-free rate or what we consider the risk-free rate. So all of these economic theories tend to be based on a risk-free rate and then an equity premium or some version of equity premium plus beta, right? There's a bunch of different things that go into how we value an asset and what that risk is worth. And the risk-free rate doesn't exist for most humans. Aside from an 18-month credit card intro, which is really a shovel that you get to dig yourself a hole with... Right. Like, unless you're being very tactical about using a credit card like that for a short term expense and paying it off during the 0% window, I don't know of any consumer debt that operates at 0%. I I just don't. Now, there's things that kind of purport to where you get like life insurance that goes, well, you're going to borrow at like 1% against your own money. Well, that's because they're crediting you interest on your own money and then charging you interest against what you borrowed. So you're using your own collateral to offset. That cost. But those are the only examples I can think of where you're truly, as a consumer, going to get to borrow at that risk free rate. And again, that requires an asset which you haven't accumulated to be able to do that.
1: This is why this is an economic theory. If you look at the article, the title says, Many young people shouldn't save for retirement, says research based on a Nobel Prize winning theory. And then it goes on to basically try to put this in practice when, in practice, I'm not sure it holds water. Now, on the other side of things, if we wanted to find an area where maybe they are right, is on the very low income side of the spectrum, I think there probably is a case to make that rather than kind of living in poverty to, to save every dollar you can for retirement, you would get more utility out of spending it and just making sure you're meeting a basic lifestyle that you're, you know you're able to be comfortable with for the long run. They talk about the disservice of auto enrolling in 401ks for many employers where some employees don't even know that's happened. So if you are at the lower end of the income scale and you could have a couple extra dollars to help improve your living situation, maybe that is more valuable to you than having some dollars in a 401k that you won't be able to access for decades when you have a real need of survival today.
0: Yeah, I think those points are well taken by me as well. And and you know, they make the case that the replacement value of Social Security is pretty high for somebody that is a very low income worker, right? If you haven't made a ton of money, the replacement value of Social Security, once you like net out the taxes, could be 60, 70, 80 percent of what you were earning during your working years. That's pretty good. If you could basically retire after working and replace 80% of your income without having to have saved anything that's that's going to be enough for a lot of people once you factor in the taxes so i get that that makes sense to me but to suggest that we shouldn't be encouraging people to save when number 1 we know that the time the compounding value of every additional year and decade is very meaningful and then number 2 behaviorally we know that people tend to fall into one of two camps right we tend to see savers and people that are really disciplined savers maybe to the extent that they're oversaving and we tend to see people that are struggling to save right that are are not getting to the point where they're creating enough resources for long-term financial stability so yeah maybe for the savers this is the right theory and you go hey you're going to be fine but i don't know that you can make this sort of statement behaviorally until you understand those characteristics about somebody like if you, if you were predisposed to know somebody was going to be a good, diligent saver once they had higher incomes, maybe I can get behind this. But for the average person that I think is going to struggle with saving once their income starts to expand, and this is the final thing, I realize I'm ranting here, when you're looking at your peer group as a 20-year-old, your peer group doesn't have much money either, Right, the, the keep up with the Joneses' pressures to live at a higher lifestyle are not really there. You want to get to a spot where you're comfortable, certainly. right? So so no, I'm not advocating that somebody that it can't pay rent and isn't living independently at 22 years old, go put 20% of their income into a 401k. That's not the point. But while you've got the ability to start developing good habits and all of your friends and your peer group is also poor... That's an okay time to be poor than when you're, you know, in your 40s and 50s and making good money and playing catch up and now you're watching your friends take great vacations and you feel like you can't afford it. Cuz I think what's more likely to happen in that case is you're just going to take the vacation.
1: I hate this article for so many reasons. The more I think about it, the more angry I get. So it's got your peak earning years kind of or at least the first hump of the saving period in your early 30s. I mean, what happens in your early 30s? A lot of people are getting married and having kids. That's not cheap. You are introducing major expenses into your life at that point. And magically, they think, all right, cool. So now you can save a ton of money, clearly, because you're earning more. Well, you're not just you on this journey. You are growing along the way and growing families, potentially, or you know, taking on new expenses or new adventures. And you're assuming that, let's say you get married, divorce happens too. That's not a cheap endeavor. You know, you might encounter all these things, or a pandemic where you get laid off and suddenly have no income. Why would you put yourself at jeopardy of not having anything to fall back on uh, by accepting this crazy theory? Well, Dan, that's maybe, when you're
0: going to do your dissaving,
1: right? Right, your your extended period of dissaving. That's true. <laughs> Bar, borrow money, r- rack up debt. And uh, you'll just worry about it later.
0: I mean, I, yeah, it's it's very frustrating to me because the thing is, there is some merit here. Uh, the The theory makes sense. I understand For why sure. they're saying that. Um, I I believe that as somebody that works with individual people, this is deeply flawed. Uh, and And I think that that's just our view. I tend to come at things from a micro perspective versus a macro one. I have trouble building systems that work at scale and for lots and lots of people. What I like doing is getting on the phone with an individual and saying, what do you have going on? And let's figure it out. That's why I'm literally in this line of business and not like a policy designer or something that works for much larger groups of people at once, is I think financial advice is a personal business. This ignores all of that. Because yes, there are people this would work for. There are inherently good savers that might be able to get away with this. If you've got family wealth and in that beginning period, you can rely on some other source of supplemental income that is going to be the dissaving period, right? Like if you've got parents that are ultimately going to leave an inheritance for you and they choose that in your 20s, they're going to give you some support rather than give you money at the end of their lifetime, that is a version of this dissaving. That would be great, right? If that is your situation, fantastic. Like, good for you. But that is not everyone's situation. And and so to come out and say young people shouldn't be saving for retirement, where they may learn that lesson too late, if not never, on the power and the magic of compounding, I find this
1: really dangerous. I didn't do this before, but I just scrolled down to the comment section, and there are very good discussions down there, I think covering a lot of what we covered today. So good on the readers. I do think it's a little bit of a clickbaity headline that goes into some interesting topics. But like we said, everything should be taken with a grain of salt. And uh, there are so many situations where this would be harmful.
0: Well, let's put a pin in that there. If you've got thoughts after taking a look at the article that you want to share, things that you've thought of that we didn't, we'd love to hear from you. Check your balances at outlook.com. We truly appreciate you tuning in every week. We'll catch you next time.